So this week, things look a little bit different, right? We're, we're sitting at tables in, instead of um, uh, in, in rows of chairs where there are things on the tables. And so um, we're going to get to that. But I don't want us to forget that we're here because we're studying Esther. And that's the, that's the priority. And so I want to take the time to, to finish our passage, or this, to, to study our passage for this week from the book of Esther. Um, and then we will get to our special part. Um, so last week, we saw the results of those two edicts, one, one from Haman and one from Mordecai and Esther. Um, we saw that the Jews were victorious and that God never abandoned his people. But that God was not only with them, but he was orchestrating every step of the way for them. And this week, we get to see how the Jews responded to this. And we're going to see um, what, what they did and, and, why, uh, yeah, and why. So um, Esther 9, 16 through 19. And so this tells us they, they uh, and we read verse 16 last week as well, but that they were victorious, they got relief from their enemies, and they killed 75,000 of those who hated them, but laid no hand on the plunder. And then which, which day is the day of feasting and gladness? And there are two of them actually, but so which one for Susa? The 15th was when they celebrated in Susa, and what about the villages? It was the 14th. And why did they, why did they have those two, why, why did they have those days? Why did they pick the 14th and the 15th? Because the, the edict was supposed to occur on the 13th, and it did occur on the 13th. Why did they celebrate on the 14th and the 15th? They rested. Because that's when they rested. They were victorious the day before, and then they rested. This, um, it, and, and it was, it, they were celebrating the victory. They weren't celebrating the battle. So they picked the day of victory, not the day of fighting. And they, that word, um, the word gladness, the, it, in uh, 19, when it says, as a day for gladness and feasting. The, the word gladness there in many places throughout the Bible is also translated as joy. And so it is a day of joy, a day of celebration um, that they had set aside specifically for that to happen. And then Esther 9, 20 through 32. Days of feasting and gladness, days of 
Thank you, Nancy. I know that was a long one. <laughs> so Mordecai sent out letters to all the Jews, and what did he tell them in the letters? What were they supposed to do? Yeah, to, to celebrate on the 14th and the 15th. And what... in and what specific way were they supposed to make sure that they celebrated? Let me find which, um, in verse 22. So they were supposed to turn from sorrow into gladness, mourning into a holiday, a day of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. And those, that word for the gifts to the poor was, was a, a food gift, um, or is generally understood to be a food gift. And then Esther later confirms the letter with a letter of her own, right? And she tells them, yes, this is what you should do and you should celebrate this. And even today, the Jewish people still celebrate this Feast of Purim. And that name Purim is the plural of the Babylonian word for pure, which means lot. It originates from Haman's casting of lots to determine the day when the Jews would be destroyed. And when the Jews celebrate this holiday, they begin their celebration with a fast on the 13th day of the month, commemorating the date on which the decree was to be carried out. Then they go to the synagogue, they hear the book of Esther publicly read, and like I said earlier, whenever the name of Haman is mentioned, the people cry out, may he be cursed, may his name perish. They stomp their feet. Children have this special little Purim rattle, um, it's called a Gregar, and they use it to make noise every time Haman's name is read. You know, imagine coming into a church service, having, having a scripture being read and you as a child get to play with this toy instrument during the reading of the word, right? This was truly a celebration. Uh, then, um, and then on the morning of the 14th day, they again go to the synagogue. The story of Esther is read again and the congregation engages in prayer. And in addition to the story of Esther, they read the story about Moses and the Amalekites um, because that's the initial Agag and enemies and, and all of that. Um, and then everyone goes home to a festive holiday meal with gifts and special foods and the celebrating continues on into the next day. They still send gifts of food to the poor and the needy so that everyone can rejoice together. But we're going to take a look back at our passage. Did I ask somebody to read uh, Esther 9, 27 and 28? I can't tell whether I wrote it down or not, and it's fine, because I just have, I just have reread it, which sometimes means I reread it, and sometimes it means I've handed it to somebody to reread. So it says, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them, that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written, and at the time appointed every year. 
that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation in every clan, province, and city, and that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. So who was obligated to keep these days as a feast? The Jews, their descendants, and then it says all who joined them. So anybody who, who became a Jew later, anybody who was um, visiting them, they all had to celebrate this, um, this feast. And, and how often would they do it? Every year. Every year. And for how many years? Forever. Never stopping. It would never cease. Every generation, every clan, everywhere was to celebrate this feast of Purim. And this feast celebrates what God did, but interestingly, it was not started because of a divine sanction or a word from God. Now, this is not the only Jewish feast that is not divinely prescribed by God. Hanukkah is a man-made celebration of the work of God, um, and, and it is a way that they are celebrating what God did for the Jews. It's a way of not just celebrating, but remembering what God did for the Jews. It was so, th so that that message of the feast was not lost throughout all the generations. That, and it kept repeating over and over again that these future generations would be able to know what happened all these years ago. And that is the challenge for us. So I need to grab my book right here. So for many years, um, before my parents joined Facebook, even though um, part of the time we still lived in Kentucky near them, uh, I would still write a blog of things that the kids did. I shared stories, pictures, uh, just what we were doing in our lives. And it gave my parents as well as some other family members a way to, to just keep up with what was happening. Uh, then every year at Christmas, I used a particular service, um, and I would put the year's posts into book form, and I would have it printed. And so it would give it would give them a a way to watch the kids grow up from a distance. And it was much easier to do this once and then print ten copies than to make ten scrapbooks. Just to let you know. Um, and so that was, that was what we did for, the, for, for our family members to be able to watch our kids grow up, even though we were five to 600 miles away from all of them. Um, the part I didn't realize at the time that I made these was how much my kids would love looking at them. They are by far the most used books in our house and in my parents' house because they, uh, and, and it's, been a little less as they've gotten a little older, uh, but, but they would, would go through and they would just read them and remember them and enjoy looking at the pictures of themselves and, and of their siblings and of us together. Um, and, and they would just pick one of the books off the shelf and read it for their quiet reading time because they enjoy the stories and the memories. There are events that I am confident they only remember because of these books. Remember that one when I was, that one time I was one and you took that picture of the snow that was taller than me through the door? Or remember that first time we went camping and I was only 10 months old and we got a flat tire at the campsite? It was time consuming, but it was worth every minute to record these memories for my children and for our family. And when I look back at these books, or, or now, because now all my family is on Facebook, I can just do it on Facebook, um, I look at those memories or even pictures that are on my wall, 
pictures as I scroll through my phone looking for something. And I realized how great it is to, to remember our life and to remember where we were and what we were doing. I love that I can see the way my children have grown and developed, the way that they have transformed over the years. And I smile every time I pull out one of these books or every time I look at one of those memories or photos on the walls. I have a lot of ways that I can look back at their milestones and at their development. You know, I, we even have ones that, that we would put together from just different, different trips we took that are, um, because this was what, what we could use to remember those things. Um, but as, I'm, as I sit and think about these books, and I sit and I think about Esther and the creation of the Feast of Purim, I have to think about what, what do I have that are ways I am focusing on praising God and remembering what he has done in my life. And not just for me to remember, but for my kids to be able to pull off the shelf and see and say, oh, do you remember when God did this for our family? So these books do that for our lives, but they don't show all the answered prayers. They don't show all the times that God's hand was at work. They don't show all the times that God provided comfort, peace, encouragement, friendship, Esther and Mordecai made it a point to not only have the celebration, but continue having it every year in order to teach the future generations about the numerous but gods in the salvation of the Jews. And so I, um, Psalm 105 verses 1 through 5 was a passage I memorized many years ago, and I think I gave that to somebody. passage has a lot of commands to give thanks to the Lord, to make known his deeds, to sing to him, to tell of his works, to rejoice in the Lord, to seek the Lord, to seek his strength, his presence, to remember his works. In a nutshell, we need to remember what God has done and we need to tell others about it. So in Joshua 3, Joshua leads the people across the Jordan River with the, the Ark of the Covenant goes first and stops the flow of the river. And he, they go across the river and into the Promised Land after they've been wandering for 40 years. And so when he and everyone else crosses, God gives Joshua a command and he tells him to take 12 men, one from each tribe, and to have them each take a stone from the river and to build an altar of remembrance. And so uh, re then we'll read Joshua chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. And so they go into the river and they pick up a stone and they have to carry it on their shoulder. They're not going to carry a stone like this on their shoulder, right? They're going to carry a big stone on their shoulder. Now, when you think about river stones, they are smooth stones, right? They are, they are, they are rounded. 
like these are. They don't have the sharp corners. The water has made them smooth. Um, if you were in my physics class, I would tell you that's physics, but um, the, the stones were different because the stones that would be on the edge of the river were going to be the smaller ones that the water could actually move. But they went and they got these big stones from the middle of the river and carried them to the side. They were out of place. They were not stones that looked like anything else on the ground around them. And so Joshua told them, get your stones get, and let's build a memorial so that when their children ask, what are those stones for? that we can tell them the story of where those stones came from. And so the question I have for all of you is, is what are you using as your, stone, your, your stones memorial, your memorial stones? And Ray and I have shared about our, our bowl of rocks before. Um, the sermon's online from many years ago, but I've shared about my bowl of rocks before too, where we take something that God has done and we write it on the rock and we put it on the bowl and you can see the bowl's kind of dusty because it sits out. It sits somewhere that our kids can see it, guests can see it when they come into the house and then they can come and they can see this bowl of rocks and they can say, why do you have a bowl of rocks with all those words? in the middle of your coffee table. It's not on our coffee table currently because our dog would not allow that. So it's on the shelf now, but, and then we can answer and say, because this is what God has done in our life. And really this is just a small sampling of what God has done in our life. You know, we can look and we can, we can recall our, our God moments um, because of these rocks and I can, I can share these God moments with my children. Um, I had the blessing of sharing one with Andrew on Sunday night because he was struggling with, with something. And I said, you know, let me find the rock. And I could tell him the story of why that rock is in the bowl. And I could say, it wasn't this rock, by the way, but I could say, this is, this is why God this is why this can be a blessing from God. I can use these rocks to teach my children and they can see the rocks and they can see the number of times that we want to remember what God has done. I wanna leave a legacy, not just of the events that are in my life, but I wanna show my children that God worked in their lives and in our lives so that they can always find hope that they can always look and confidently wait for God to work. And so what are you using as your stones of remembrance? It doesn't have to be a bowl of rocks. Maybe it's a jar of papers. Maybe it's a journal. Um, this one I had to steal off the shelf because mine was in, uh, um, in, I put it in the wrong bag yesterday after I used it to write down prayer requests, but I have, I have a journal that I write down prayer requests and I'm on, I, well, I was cleaning up my shelf a couple of months ago and had, had four or five journals. Sometimes they're nicer books like this. One of them's a composition notebook where it was just prayer requests. I would just keep track of prayer requests and I could look back and I could say, oh, I remember praying for that. And I remember that, that God worked that out. Um, and so maybe it's a journal. I saw someone who made a weaving and, and had different colors of the string represented different things. Um, it, uh, I've seen people do that with quilt squares, where they have a quilt where those different pieces of fabric meant different things or the different patterns meant different things. Uh, I mean, quilts were a way of, of telling stories. Uh, so that's, that's one possibility. Uh, a shadow box where you've just got those reminders. 
there are plenty of things that you can do that shows, that, that gives you those stones of remembrance. It gives you those memorial stones like God told Joshua they needed. Um, one of the things that I have started doing um, with, we're, we're not talking about it, but Andrew's a junior, so next year's his senior year of high school, and we're not talking about it, but because um, we got the, the like photo, you need to get your senior year, senior photos thing in the mail yesterday. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not ready for this, right? But in this, um, so I bought a Bible at the beginning of this school year that was a journaling Bible. And as I go through and, and study whatever it is that I'm studying, I'm writing it in this journaling Bible. And when Andrew graduates, this is the Bible we're going to give him to take to college. And, and the plan is for Ray to write some things as well. It's not just me, but, but the, the goal is for him to be able to look and see what God was teaching us as we were reading the word so that when he goes and he's just struggling with whatever it is or struggling to understand a passage, he can be like, oh, but mom wrote down in here, be to one person, but you wish you could be to all of them with a verse reference. And it's, oh, it does matter to one. And he can have some encouragement because of what God taught me through these two years. There are ways that you can teach your children and leave a legacy for your children, a, a legacy of faith. If your children are grown, do it for your grandchildren. How they can remember your Christian life. Um, and so as we think about this for ourselves, I want us to think about Esther and Mordecai and Purim. And they used a feast with Purim to remember what God has done. They use a lot of feasts to do that. And one big thing that I was taught from my church growing up is that there's nothing wrong with meaningful tradition. Now, tradition can go too far, and you can do things for the sake of just because it's tradition. But when you do them to remember, it can be monumental in your spiritual growth. And when I was growing up, that was Holy Week for me. We had the pomp and circumstance of, of Palm Sunday, where we walked in waving the palm branches as children, and we paraded through the sanctuary. There was uh, joyous music. But we also had a Maundy Thursday service where we celebrated the Last Supper, and at the end of that service, all the windows were covered and draped with dark cloth and there was no light from outside coming in. And all the lights, or almost all the lights, were turned off in the sanctuary because that was the feeling when they left the Last Supper. They knew something was coming. We even took out any flowers, any decorations, even the Bible that was on the pulpit was taken out of the sanctuary. We left the room feeling the betrayal that was coming. And then there was a Good Friday service, and it was, it was the feeling of all that was lost and that there was little hope left and all the sin that we had that was just there. But all that changed on Easter morning. And every year the service would open with the same song, Christ the Lord is Risen Today. And they had people who would drop the drapes to the floor from those windows and there would be brightness as the organ started playing the opening chords. The choir would start from the back of the sanctuary and they would, they would process in, singing the song, walking up to the choir loft. They were followed by um, different people carrying the banners for Easter and the decorations and the flowers. There were even... Um, uh, in the middle of the sanctuary, uh, a, a sheet was covering a couple of the pews, and they would peel away the sheet, and balloons would just float. It was a joyous experience. You could feel the joy that they experienced on Easter morning. 
that week in my church growing up truly conveyed the experience and the emotions of the week. And so today we are in the midst of Holy Week, and part of Holy Week in Jesus' time was Passover. The Jews still celebrate Passover. They will celebrate it tomorrow. I think it's tomorrow. I'd have to look at the calendar again. But, um, but I want us, we're going to take an opportunity today to do what's known as a symbolic Seder. It's a small sampling of the Passover meal that the Jews have every year. This is a, 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 a sampling of what, the Jew, what Jesus ate with his disciples on that last night. And so we're going to take a brief pause. You can put your belongings on the floor under your chair. We're going to bring out some plates um, and I'm going to give you a handout as we, um, as we get situated for this. Thank you. So today you will notice that we, we have four different cups of, of juice on the table for you. Um, the importance of juice during Jesus' day cannot be overstated. The water was of poor quality. Uh, and so you had to have juice that was just a little bit aged so that the alcohol would kill the contaminants in the water. And that's what gave the Jews better health. Um, we won't have actual wine. We have just regular old juice. But the juice is, 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 is still important as it represents the life that we have in Christ. Because he is the vine, we are the branches, and through him we bear much fruit. And we've chosen to use the, the juice also because that color of the juice um, is... Uh, which we'll share later on, but that color representing the, the blood of Christ. So in Jesus' day, there would have been a common cup that was passed for all to share. For the sake of simplicity, we're just going to provide a small communion cup for each occasion. And so the first cup is the cup, uh, the cup of sanctification and freedom. So Passover is ab about memory and fulfilled promises, but it's also about hope. The hope that comes from a God who has fulfilled promises. So we celebrate redemption as memory, but we also celebrate redemption as hope. The God of the Exodus is still God. And so we know that what has, has been is also a promise of what will be. And just as God gave promises of freedom from slavery to his people, in Christ we have the promise of, the, of freedom from the slavery of sin. And so if you'll take one of your, one of your cups, uh, may the Lord bless our time together. And then in, um, in, at this point, um, we, we experience the washing of hands. Uh, for the Jews, they would have somebody come around with a bowl of water and towels. Uh, if we were doing this as a church, a lot of times when churches do it, they'll have the elders come with a bowl and towels. For simplicity's sake, we, you will have a plastic baggie with a wet paper towel in it. I know there's no soap, I know all of that, but use that, wash your hands, and what it represents is that cleaning. Um, it was readying yourself to eat the meal with your hands. Um, this is probably the time in the meal when the disciples would have started discussing who was the greatest among them. And they would have seen Peter and John at the right and left of Jesus, were somewhat envious. Um, and that's when Jesus took the towel and he went around and he washed the disciples' feet. And while we won't do that tonight, I just want you to think about that image um, of, of Jesus washing his disciples' feet and saying that the greatest in the kingdom of God are those who serve others. I feel like I'm falling off my stool. 
Then there are two items that we're going to focus on now. Uh, Parsley is a bitter herb for the Jew, and that's the, um, the green stuff on your plate. For the Jew, this represented the bitter years of bondage in Egypt when they endured hard slavery. For us today, what would those bitter herbs maybe represent? Our sin. We are, we are in bondage to sin. Now, the second item we're going to look, for, look at is your, is your cup of salt water. You'll see this in between a couple of people for most of you. Um, the symbolism of, of the salt water is, is the pain and bondage that are, or the, is, is that pain and bondage are often accompanied by tears, by sweat and tears. And our tears are salty, and thus that salt water reminds us of such pain. So I want you to take one of your sprigs of parsley, and I know it's, so just, it, it's not going to taste good, and that's okay. That's the point, okay? This is not the joyous part of the meal. Um, but you're going to take your sprig of parsley from your plate, you're going to dip it into that salt water, and then, and then we'll eat it together. Uh, and you don't, have to, you don't have to, like, shove the whole thing in your mouth. You can just take a bite of it, and a, a nibble. Uh, when we did this at our church in Mannheim, we had all the kids participating too. It was quite the event. <laughs> As we eat this, let's remember the terrible taste that sin leaves on our soul. Feel free to take a drink of water if you need it. Uh, the next thing that they would do would be to present the food elements. Um, they would have unleavened bread. And for you, you'll have, we have, or for today, we have the matzah crackers. Um, leaven is something that we put into bread that makes it rise, to make, to make it have body. And if you put in just a little bit, the whole loaf of bread will be affected. But it does take some time to work, and the children of Israel had to eat in a hurry that on that night of that first night of Passover. And so they didn't have time to put leaven into the bread and to let it rise. But this, the leaven is like the sin. When we have even just a little sin in our lives, it affects our whole life. It may take a little time to show, but the result is that we are separated from God, and that's why we use unleavened bread for this meal. It is to remind us how we need to confess our sins daily and seek his cleansing so that we are not separated from, from God. And so I want you to take your, your piece that you have and I want you to break it. And I want you to, to take just a, a bite of it. Um, a bite of it now. And as we, as we take this bite, and as we see, even in, in grocery stores, especially around this time of year, you see these, these matzo crackers um, that are out because the Jews need them at this time of year. Um, but make it be a memory, a, a reminder of how even a little sin in our lives impacts our entire life. And so then, um, then we get to the, the bitter herbs a second time. And we've already explained how those bitter herbs were to remind the Jews of that bitter bondage of slavery in Egypt, and that the bitterness is to remind us of our bondage to sin without Christ. But this time we're going to have another, um, another truth represented. Uh, on your plate you'll see an, an, an apple. It, it's kind of a chutney. Um, it's called caroset, except you have to say it with that guttural, right? I can't say it, but that's what the Hebrews called it. This, this chutney is made up of, of chopped apples, honey, nuts, and juice. Um, now, when, when the Jews were in, in Egypt, 
they made, um, they made bricks from clay and then they had to smear mortar between those in, in order to build the buildings for the Egyptians. And so the, this uh, chutney is to remind us that even in the most bitter circumstances, we are drawn together as people. Sometimes the people of God are called the building of God, and when we walk through pain together, we are joined together. And doing so makes our life sweeter, even in the midst of pain. And so you'll want to take another, break off another piece of your um, matzah cracker. Then you're going to take your other sprig of parsley um, and you want to dab it gently into the horseradish sauce. A gentle dab, you don't need like massive amounts. And then um, then you're going to place the um, parsley on the matzah and then take your chutney carouset, put a spoonful of that on top. And if I can have someone who will pray a prayer of thanksgiving for other Christians being with them when they go through difficult times. Someone who can pray a prayer of thanksgiving. Thank you. And then you eat this all as one, like you don't have to shove the whole thing in your mouth again, but you eat it all together. And then they would get to their second cup of juice or their second drink of juice. We're going to use the second cup. The second cup is the cup of deliverance. With the second cup, we celebrate the deliverance that God has brought to us. We are privileged to thank God, to praise him, to revere him, and to rejoice in his grace. He has brought us forth from bondage to freedom, from sorrow to joy, from darkness to light, from slavery to redemption, and you may drink. Now the next steps of, of the um, meal involve different parts of the meal being consumed. And it begins with, traditionally, with the singing of the Hallel. We're not going to attempt to do that because it would be in Hebrew and yeah. But you do have written on the handout that I gave you there at the bottom is Psalm 113. And we're going to read Psalm 113 together. If you will read with me. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forever, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is enthroned on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth? He raises the poor from the dust, and lifts the needy from the ash heap princes with the princes of his people he makes the barren woman abide in the house as a joyful mother of children praise the lord 
Now at some point in this sequence, Jesus makes the statement that one of his disciples will betray him. And they all protest, but Judas in particular says, surely it is not I, Rabbi. And that begins a series of interactions that was so quietly carried out that even the disciples didn't know what was going on. However, the result was that Jesus confronted Judas, told him to go ahead and do what he had intended to do, that is to betray Jesus to the Pharisees. And that's when Jesus slips away into the night. And after this, there's a, a long discourse in John where Jesus spends a lot of time on his final teaching to his disciples. It's a wonderful and endearing section where Jesus shares what is most important to his heart. And we're not going to read that today, but I would encourage you between now and Sunday morning, take the time to read John 13 through 17. And when you do, imagine a candlelit upper room with Jesus and the disciples. Now, sometimes during this part of the meal is when Jesus moved into the breaking of the bread and another glass of juice with a new interpretation. Because up to this point, it had all been the Jewish custom. Um, but then Jesus takes the bread and, and it, he said that it represents the broken body of our Lord on the cross. And so break off another piece of the matzah. And that breaking being that broken body, the uh, unleavened bread being the sinless body um, uh, of Christ. So if someone can read Matthew 26, 26, which is written on, um, on the paper. And I will pray the prayer of thanksgiving. God, I, I thank you that you sent your son to be broken for us, to, your sinless son, to take on our sin when his body was broken. Amen. And now you may eat. And then we get to the third cup. That The, um, the third cup is the cup of the cup of redemption. It represents the blood that was spilt. And in a traditional Jewish Seder, a place at the table is left empty along with an, an untouched cup of wine to symbolize the expectation of the coming of Elijah, uh, the prophet, and he was a forerunner of the Messiah. But for the Christian, we recognize Christ as the promised Messiah. He had already come. And now it was a cause for celebration because his blood was spilt for you. And and for me, and it redeemed us from our sin. And if somebody can read Matthew 26, 27 through 29. Can someone pray another prayer of thanksgiving for us? Melissa, do you mind doing that for us? I'm sorry, it's two sentences. drink together the third cup. And then the final part of the meal was the eating of the lamb. And for us, this represents the sacrifice of the lamb of God, Jesus, for our sins. For the Jews, it's the, the Passover lamb that was sacrificed for, for them at, at the initial, um, the initial experience when when uh, they put the blood on the doorposts um, on that on that dark night in Egypt God asked each household to slay a lamb and take its blood place it on the sides and the top of the door and by doing so when the angel of death came it would pass over the house that had the sign of sacrifice on the door 
Likewise, we must have the blood of Jesus covering our sins if we are to escape death. So as you eat a bite of this lamb, realize that the Lord Jesus gave his life so that we might live. Uh, can somebody read Leviticus 17:11, which is on your paper? So if you take your piece of lamb, um, he is our sacrificial lamb, and as you eat, give thanks for him. At this point, they would sing the second half of the Hillel, again, in Hebrew, not going to go there. So we're going to read together Psalm 117, and that's on your paper. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him, all peoples. For his loving kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. That fourth cup is the cup of thanksgiving and hope. Thanksgiving for, our, thanksgiving for our salvation and hope for heaven. Scripture records that they sang a final hymn together before leaving. Um, I forgot to ask Joyce if we could, so I just took it out. Sorry, Joyce. I should have, I should have just gone over and knocked on your door the other night, but I didn't. But... Um, they would sing a hymn, and then they would, they would drink the last time in honor of, of our Lord Jesus, who has made all this possible. And we look forward to the day when we will all be around the banquet table in heaven together. So drink with me. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Even so... Lord Jesus, come quickly. And so may the Lord bless you during the rest of this Easter and as you think about his incredible salvation.